0: Welcome back, everybody, to the Rooted in Logos podcast, episode number 76, and man, it has been a while. We have not put out new content in almost two months, and I am very excited to be back on the airwaves, so to speak, and very excited to be back doing some new material. So, Just a little bit of housekeeping before we get started. Uh, My name is Brad. Uh, I'm joined this week by a good friend of mine, Grant. Uh, He will introduce himself in a minute, but say hi, Grant. Hello, everybody. Uh, He is uh, one of our dear friends from our church, and we're going to talk about a couple of things today that he is passionate about, and I'm excited to get into it. But before we do that, just... uh, a little bit of housekeeping, a couple of things. First, I mean, we have not had any content on for a couple of months, and the last episode we did was back in August. It was the definitive Christian movie bracket. It was a fun one, really just kind of goofy. We got into a couple of serious topics, but really just kind of goofy between me, Simon and Atticus. Go back, check that one out. I think you'll enjoy it. Uh, we got a lot of feedback on that one. People not super happy with some of the pairings, but that's a different conversation. And obviously, you're going to notice that Austin is not with us this week, and, and he. He and I both, We the last couple months have been absolutely crazy. Between me leaving for 10 days on vacation, Austin packing up his family and moving, it has been a lot. And so we just haven't been able to put a lot of time into this, unfortunately. And, and I know, you know, we talked about relaunching and stuff. And so my plan is still to relaunch. I am hoping to have a full kind of like breakdown of what I'm doing by the first part of November. Maybe the first week, maybe even the second week of November. I'm hoping to have a full plan. A full vision to show throw out there. And, and just full disclosure, we are not 100% sure um, who's going to be on. We're not 100% sure of, of what the format's going to look like. That's why I want to kind of delay it and push it out because we, we have some praying and some decisions to make. I will say this, Austin and I are fine. Like, we are not, no one's angry with each other. There's no beef. There's no you know, whether he leaves, whether he doesn't leave, whether I leave, whether I don't leave, whether I keep doing this, it has nothing to do with the relationship Austin and I have. And so I want to throw that out there and make sure that is clear. We just don't fully know what the future has in store, and we don't really know exactly what God has for each one of us. And so we will have a full explanation, hopefully in the next month or so. But until then, I'm going to throw out some random episodes. It may not be every week. It may be once a month. It may be twice a month. It may be every week. It just depends on who I can get to come hang out with me for a little while, because I don't want to sit here and talk for an hour and a half by myself, Because that's a little weird. And you all would get tired of it, and so would I. So we're not going to do that. So for this episode, episode number 76, we're going to talk about the Lord's Supper and communion. One of the things we do at our church is we do communion every week. We take it, we believe that the Bible encourages that. I don't necessarily think it is mandatory. I don't necessarily think it is, you know, heresy or heretical if you don't do it every week. But we do it every week, and I do believe that's probably the best practice to do it every week. You know, The Bible says, do this in remembrance of me as often as you gather right? The Bible talks about, Paul talks about, as often as you gather, you take this meal. And so we do that. And what that entails is communion meditation. And Grant is in charge of scheduling who does communion meditation, and he wants to start actually making this a legitimate, like, program within our church. A ministry that kind of has some guidelines and some some rules in place and some ideas that we want to make sure get to come across each week and things we don't want to necessarily come, you know, be a part of that each week. And so, what I asked Grant to come do, and actually, kind of what he wanted asked me to for him to come do is—I yeah, would like to. I'm excited to do this. Yeah, is to get on here and talk about what community meditation is, how we do it, and what are some guidelines and what does it look like each week. Um, before we do that, he and I are going to just kind of discuss in, in just kind of our normal, rooted in logos like format that we do. We're going to discuss what. Communion actually is. So, we're going to start with the basics. What is the Lord's Supper? Where did it come from? Who established it? So on and so forth. And so, let's dive into that real quick. Actually, Grant, tell us a little bit just about yourself. What do you do? Are you married? Do you have any kids? Like, what? Let the rooted in Logos family who don't know you, because they're actually. And we can get into this at some point. There are a lot of people that listen to this that aren't a part of our church. I didn't realize that until the last couple months. And uh, you guys are amazing. You're the best. And we love you. Thank you for (laughs) listening. Keep doing so. But for the listeners who don't know you,
1: who are you? What do you do? What's your story? My name is Grant, and I am married. We got married this past June to Natalie Fessel now. Uh, We go to Lanesville Christian Church. Natalie and her family have uh, attended there for, since really the time we started dating, about five years. And I've gone there since uh, the beginning, 20 some odd years now. And... Just I've always had a passion for public speaking and communications, writing, and stuff like that, and this year, in 2022, Kevin, Natalie's dad, also one of the elders at church, approached me about taking over the scheduling for community meditation, and uh, it was definitely... I felt challenged by it. I didn't feel necessarily qualified to do it, but I wanted to give it a shot. So that's kind of how I got involved with the community meditations on a more deep level, outside of just giving one periodically whenever I was scheduled. Natalie's
0: a teacher, right? Elementary Mm -hmm. school teacher, and you are an evil tax man. Yes. Currently, Uh, right? But I think we're going to maybe try and fix that at some point. Yeah, I'm I'm looking to change that. So anyone in this area that wants to hire a grant for something other than being an evil tax man, (laughs) that'd be great. We would... We would highly appreciate that. You know, uh, they, to be fair though, Jesus did call a tax collector
1: to be one of his twelve disciples, and so like, yeah. Well, that's not a only good the, thing, yeah. Well, and Jesus never condemned paying taxes okay. either. So, <laughs> different discussion. Definitely I not. Need, I don't
0: need your biblical facts on this <laughs> podcast. That's
1: not what we're doing. I'm
0: kidding. Totally what oh, we do. That's funny. But he doesn't. But still, we don't like doing it. No, we don't like tax it. man. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> So, I'm super excited to have Grant. on. Grant and I have known each other for a few years now. And oddly enough, like, over the last maybe three or four months is when I really realized he enjoys public speaking. Really? I honestly, when Austin and I were trying to find different people to come on and talk about different things, I don't know if I would have picked you right away because I just didn't know that was something you'd be interested in. So, yeah. I'm, I'm super stoked about this. and. Uh, maybe if you're really good at it, we might bring you back a lot. But that's
1: a different (laughs) conversation. This will be the test. This will be the test. If I don't get invited back, I know the answer. You know
0: the reason why. I mean, there's a reason why Simon... No, he's been on a lot. Never mind. I was going to try and take a (laughs) shot at Simon, but he's been on too much. I can't even take a shot at him. No, no. Anyway, so the Lord's Supper and Mm -hmm. communion. And let's just kind of start with kind of basic overview, what it actually is. I mean, you know, a lot of churches do it a lot of different ways. Some churches use wine, some use grape juice, some use both. Right. Like... I was at a church uh, over in Louisville before I came to Lanesville that had both. Mm -hmm. You know, the wine is marked with twine, is what they would always say. If your conscience permits, you can use that. If not, they have the grape juice. Mm -hmm. Uh, Also, they had gluten-free for all the gluten-free people out there. (laughs) It's, again, another conversation that I would love to have beside the point. But the basics are there, right? You have juice or wine, and you have bread or a cracker. Mm Mm-hmm. And, you know, to an unbeliever, they're thinking, okay, this is a little strange. They're talking about, this is my body, this is my blood, Eat right. this and drink this in remembrance of me. And people kind of think, okay, what are they doing? What are these crazy yeah. Christians up to?
1: I think to an unbeliever, if, you're, if you come and sit down in a church, you are pretty much tracking with the music and... Uh, like that's something to be expected. And then you're getting ready for the sermon. And then all of a sudden everyone sits down and starts eating and talking about bodies and blood. And it's a real <laughs> break in the flow of, uh, of everything. If you're not familiar with it. And even for a Christian, it, it, it can, if you
0: don't know what it is, especially like maybe a new Christian, but even mm-hmm. for believe people who've been in the church a while, maybe they just don't fully understand what they're doing. They've been doing it for years. They, they've they heard about it, whatever.
1: Right. And they just do it out of compulsion or out of ritual or habit. Mm-hmm. I actually have a funny story about that, Uh, but our church serves communion now differently than we did in years past. Now you get up, you go to the corners of the room where the communion elements are, and you're in a line, you essentially serve yourself. That's basically COVID, post-COVID protocol now. Um, And to be fair, I don't even think we do that because of COVID anymore. I think No, I think it works logistically better now. (laughs) Uh, Before that, we had a team of communion servers. We had the uh, golden plates that had the elements in there, and everyone lined up in the back. They'd walk forward, and you were served by the row you were sitting in. And so once you went through the whole row, like the main congregation seating area, there were the people who sit in the back, like on the walls, whenever there's not as many chairs left. I
0: lovingly call those people back row Baptists. Yes. Even though we're not a Baptist church.
1: And we had some. Uh, this has been years ago. Shout out now. to the Baptist. <laughs> <laughs> there, we had a, a bench in there, and there was a lady sitting by herself. And so I was closest to her. So I, I take the elements over to her and I offer them to her. And she looks at me. And it's very quiet. The room's dark. There's, you know, soft piano music playing. And she looks up at me and she goes, Am I allowed to touch these? <laughs> Uh-huh. <laughs> and I just kind of laughed. I was a little taken aback. I did not expect that question, so I kind of laughed. I was like, yeah, yeah, you're allowed to touch them. It's okay. <laughs> but it, it, kind of to your point, it's very ritualized. Um, it is, and,
0: and, and it's one of two... Institutions that, that Jesus put into play. Mm-hmm. It's one of two actions that we are told as believers to do, as far as like symbolically showing that we are Christians. The first is baptism, mm-hmm. and the second is the Lord's Supper. Right. It's communion. Those are the two traditions that Jesus did institute, and, right. and I think are important. I think, you know, we have a tendency, especially in non denominational churches and, and more modern churches nowadays, to be very like, Oh, tradition's terrible. Oh, we don't want to be ritualistic. We don't like the Catholics are too ritualistic. The Lutherans are too ritualistic. And on some degree, I'm okay I'm okay saying that. But when it comes to baptism, when it comes to communion, like we need to do these things regularly. Not baptism once, but you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like those are two things that are traditions within the church that need to be followed. The right. Lord's Supper and and baptism.
1: Yeah, well that's it's how we identify ourselves with Jesus, right? Yeah, just yeah. on a symbolic level, right? And so we're going to talk a little bit about like I'm going to
0: am about to read a verse here from Matthew where Jesus kind of institutes the Lord's Supper, and then we're going to talk a little bit from Paul where he kind of expounds on it and talks about it a little bit more and kind of what that what that means, how how we apply that, and what we're to do with it. So I'm going to start with the beginning of the Lord's Supper. Where was it instituted? Where did Jesus actually start? This tradition and it starts at the Last Supper and just picture this scene: you got the twelve disciples or the twelve disciples and Jesus lounging and eating and spending a Passover meal together. And Jesus had just told the disciples that Judas was about to betray him. The disciples don't understand this. He has he said from the beginning he's going to die, and he's saying it again here he's going to die. And the disciples still don't understand what's about to happen. Well, and they don't even know it's
1: Judas. They think, "Is it me, Lord? Is it me, Lord?"
0: Right? Yeah. And so. Judas is about to betray Jesus. Jesus is about to get arrested. The, the next step from this process is they go to the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus prays alone, and he gets arrested. Uh-huh. And it sets off the, the sequence of events that leads to his crucifixion, ultimately his resurrection. And, and so in the midst of all that, he institutes the Lord's Supper. And that starts in Matthew 26. Matthew 26, verses 26 through 29. It says, Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke it, and gave it to the disciples, and said, Take Eat. This is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, "Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins." I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And so that right there institutes the Lord's Supper. This mm-hmm. is the first instance of the body represent, or the the bread representing his body, the blood representing the wine, the wine representing his blood. Yeah. And I want to I want to touch on a couple things really fast. First, I want to touch on this idea that the Catholics have, and, and some in the Catholic vein have, of transubstantiation. Big $4 theological word. Mm-hmm. Really what it means is the Catholics teach that the bread and the wine literally become the body and blood of Christ. Mm-hmm. They teach that once the priest blesses it, it is literally the body and literally the blood of Christ. Right. I, I, I don't see that anywhere in Scripture. It doesn't make sense. No. So we do not hold to that. So if you think, if you're maybe a new believer or maybe you're an unbeliever who stumbled upon this episode for some reason or, you, or someone shared it with you because you were confused about the Lord's Supper, we as Christians, we as, as as Protestants and Protestants as a whole, which basically means Christians who are not Catholic, right, we do not believe that it becomes the literal body and blood of Christ. Right. That is, that is one thing. The Lutherans, on the other hand, they teach that... The bread contained Christ's body. And so it's not fully transformed into the body of Christ, but it contains it. So again, a little more of a physical, like, literal translation or interpretation of body and blood. Mm-hmm. Again, not what we as Protestants believe. Right. We believe it is a symbol. We believe that it is a a representation of the body and blood of Christ. Mm-hmm. Because of his death, his burial, his resurrection on the cross. He He died on the cross. His body was broken. He bled. Right, and when they pierced the side, blood and water fell. Right, so he bled for us. His body was broken for us, and we, as believers, we acknowledge that when we take communion.
1: Right, yeah, we let that those elements symbolize those those things, those things that we know happen because the Bible specifically says he bled, like how you said, the blood and water that you know he was uh, had his body broken. So we know then that 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 happened and we know that we're on safe ground as far as letting those elements represent those things it would be interesting i think to go um talk to somebody who maybe understands it better as far as like the catholicism uh stuff goes on why do you believe that or with the the Lutheran things I can't speak to those things as far as having a deep knowledge of them only what we do and um, and why we do it and I'm with Grant on that I don't fully understand
0: where they get that belief so I can't speak to it like directly to you know refute it verse by verse like right. I can't necessarily do it because I don't quite know where they get it part of that is because I just don't see it in the Bible that might right. be why I don't fully understand where they get it because I it's not in the Bible, so right. where do they get that belief system? So I can't necessarily refute it. I can
1: just say it's not in the Bible. I would love to see verse for verse why. Right.
0: Yeah. And right. I don't think they they might have it maybe in their extra biblical texts that they have. Maybe. Yeah. Or it could just be the Pope said it sometime mm-hmm. eons ago. Like you know yeah. what I mean? Like mm-hmm. they take the Pope's words very seriously, and so maybe that maybe that's why they could be. So I I don't know the history behind it. Uh, I'm sorry. For that. <laughs> like maybe I could have been more prepared, but. We did just want to differentiate between our belief system and their belief system in that in that way,
1: right? Yeah, because what we do for community, the community meditation, as far as matching it up versus uh, Catholicism, what we do would not fly in a Catholic church, no, <laughs> no way, definitely not, never. Um, and so there, we have to define our terms here on, on what yep, we're talking absolutely. about. Absolutely, that's a that's a great way to say it. We
0: have to define our terms. A lot of a lot of theological debates and a lot of theological discussions, and even in political realms, which I enjoy diving into, but we don't do that here. Hallelujah. (laughs)
1: Right. (laughs) Is the definition of terms, right? right? Yeah. That's like the number one rule, almost when conversing with anybody.
0: We, If I don't define the word woman the same way you define the word woman, Mm -hmm. there's not going to be a way we can have a discussion that's going to lead anywhere. No. no. It's not going to be productive, because we define words differently. Right. Same way with theological debates. same way with Topics like the Lord's Supper and communion, if we're not defining these words properly, there's no point in even talking about it Mm -hmm. or having an argument or having a discussion. And so, yeah, that's a great way to say it. We want to make sure we know we define what we're talking about as we talk about it so we can explain it better. So, I'm going to go through a couple of things. One, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul lays out a pretty succinct vision of communion and, and some guidelines that. We need to follow that we need to follow as Christians when we're taking the Lord's Supper and when we're doing this. So I'm going to read First Corinthians chapter 11 and I'm going to read verses 17 through the end of the chapter, which is I think 33. It looks like yep, 33, 17 to 33. So it's going to be a long little section of of scripture here. But again, it puts a good kind of framework together of what communion is and the words that we're saying, and it might give you a better understanding of where we're coming from when we talk about community meditation, and we're going to get into that specifically here in just a few minutes. But first of all, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 17 to 33, it says, But in the following instructions, I do not commend you, because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you came together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and I believe it in part, for there must be fractions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. So sometimes some fractions and divisions within the church serve a good purpose. Yeah, I mean I, there, there's some, there's some of that. It, it's it's separating the the you know the men from the boys. So to yeah, speak. edifying in a way. Verse twenty: When you come together, it is not the Lord's supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. So Paul's laying out this this idea that he's about to be super encouraging to the church of, uh, you know, the church in Corinth, mm-hmm. and in reality, he's like, no, like you guys aren't doing this right. And so what he's doing is he's combating this false teaching on the Lord's Supper, or maybe not even false teaching, but they're not doing it the proper way.
1: Yeah, maybe a They're misunderstanding. It, a
0: misunderstanding. They're not taking it seriously. Right. They're not doing it with reverence. They're not doing it with
1: the fear of God in their hearts. They're mm-hmm. doing it, I mean, in, in in some cases, to get drunk. Yeah, well, and this might be a perfect like time for the whole defining terms thing. It would be very confusing for anyone to think, like for our church, for example, that it would be remotely possible to be a glutton or get drunk on the amount of food and wine that we have. And I think we don't think about it that way because we think what they were doing in Paul's day was the same thing we're doing now. Obviously they, uh, because there was a potential for them to get drunk. Cause he mentions that these could have been bigger meals that they were having more sit down type things. And it also probably wasn't Passover every single time, because if they're doing this every single time they get together, then that doesn't make sense for it. It's not Passover constantly. Right. And, and
0: so even, even when Jesus instituted the Lord's supper, he was doing it in the context of a full meal. Mm-hmm. because he was having the Passover meal. Right. So this was just a portion of that. And I think what was happening in the church in Corinth is they were calling what they were doing, ha- taking the Lord's Supper. Mm-hmm. And Paul's like, no, that's not what you're doing at all. Like, right. you're just eating. You're eating and you're drinking. You're not taking this seriously. You're, or may, I mean, Paul's pretty harsh, so I actually think it was like, you're not taking this seriously. Right, because well, like, it wasn't you're,
1: just eating and drinking, it was to excess. It was to excess.
0: Mm-hmm. And, and, you know... We, you'll hear from the stage at a lot of churches, in our church as well, where we say we're partaking in this meal together. Right. We're not meaning a literal sit down. Let's eat. Let's have no, dinner. Right. It is a it is a meal of the body and blood of Christ symbolically to just recognize his sacrifice for us until he comes back. Right. Until he is until we are with him for mm-hmm. eternity. And I think the Church of Corinth had lost that.
1: Yeah. They just were having a meal. Well, not only were they having meals, some people weren't. Some people weren't. Yes, yeah, so yeah. were, there were some people eating enough for multiple people, and somebody else was going hungry. And that's, that's not representing anything that Christ would have condoned. That's exactly right. So I'm going to keep going. Verse 23. And this is the part of the passage that
0: is very popular. And, and, and honestly, when I've given communita- communion meditation, it's one of the passages I go to. Mm-hmm. It says this. Verse 23, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And we had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Verse 27, whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined, so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. About the other things, I will give directions when I come. A lot to unpack there. We're not going to spend a ton of time in this passage. I do think that is a passage that would be worth really unpacking at some point. I think so cuz yeah cuz could... there's a lot there but I want to just kind of give a gist of what we're talking about here and and it's going to kind of bleed into what we're going to talk about here in a couple minutes about specifically community meditation. I want to point out seven quick things that I see when it comes to the Lord's Supper. I'm getting some of this from Systematic Theology book by Wayne Grudem, but I these are things that I do see when I read texts like this. So the first thing that when it comes to the Lord's Supper that we are proclaiming that we are symbolizing that we are acknowledging as Christ's death, says that right here, that you are, verse 26, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We are acknowledging the Lord's death. We're acknowledging Jesus's death. We believe as Christians that he died a sinner's death, even though he was perfect, even though he didn't deserve it, he died the death that we as sinners deserve. So that is the first thing we're doing. Our participation in the benefits of Christ is that's the second thing. Jesus commanded his disciples, take, eat, this is my body. That's in Matthew 26. As we individually reach out and take the cup for ourselves, each one of us is by that action proclaiming, I am taking the benefits of Christ's death to myself. Meaning, I am accepting his forgiveness. I'm accepting his sacrifice. I'm accepting that he has done something that I can't do. And that is grant me salvation. hmm that is what you're proclaiming. You are doing that in a public setting with other brothers and sisters in Christ. And you are saying, I believe that he saved me through his blood. Right. That old hymn, Are you washed? Are you washed in the blood? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Are your garments spotless? Are they white as snow? Are you washed in the blood? Anyway, I don't, I wish I knew the words. It's a great song. <laughs> All right. So the next thing is spiritual nourishment. And I'm gonna we're gonna go into John here. And I'm actually just gonna read it from this book here, but it's John 6, verses 53 to 57. Another part of the gospels where It tells a little more detail about the institution of the Lord's Supper. So, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father. So, whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. So, again, you hear that, especially to an unbeliever or a new Christian, you're like that is weird. What kind of cannibal nonsense
1: is this? On the flip side, that's probably one of the verses supporting Catholicism's view. Of, I mean, yeah, uh, I mean that. that, that could but be you're wild. right, yeah. If you read that as a non-believer or somebody <laughs> unfamiliar, you might close the book. Right? <laughs> what <laughs> are
0: we getting into? Right. So, certainly, he, Jesus isn't speaking of literally eating his flesh. I mean, we, we we see Jesus speak in parables a lot, where he's using metaphors, he's, he's using stories, he's using hyperbole right. to get his point across to the stupid people he's talking to. Right. And in this moment, the stupid people he's talking to is us. Right. We are not that smart. <laughs> uh, you know, we, I say all the time on the show, we are sheep. Mm-hmm. We are compared to sheep a lot in scripture. Sheep are stupid.
1: Yes. Sheep will walk
0: off a cliff if you let them. Sheep will fall into a hole and not be able to get out, again, if you let them. They see no danger in front of them. They just keep walking. Mm-hmm. So we are dumb. And he is. He will speak in hyperbole, metaphors, stories, things that he can relate, things that we can relate to, things that the people that he was talking to can relate to, All right. to get his point across. Because again... We're kind of dense. I mean, he Jesus spends time in, in the four Gospels in the Last Supper talking about his death, and people are like, oh, what does that mean? You're not going to die? Yeah. Huh? Right. You know? And, and same still, like in the Garden of Gethsemane, you see the same thing, where Peter cuts off the ear of a centurion trying to defend Jesus.
1: Mm-hmm. That wasn't smart. Jesus told him, this is what's about to happen. I wonder if the disciples or the people in that era, and I have no uh Facts to back up this theory i wonder if they were looking for a parable or a story or a metaphor in everything so when jesus is clear in the bible i'm going to die in three days they're trying to like you know mind game this to where it makes sense when it's just being literal so jesus gives them parables because that's what their brain already is wanting and then whenever they solve the parable it's his actual meaning so yeah
0: so when Jesus talks about eating his flesh, drinking his blood, I mean, it, it is a spiritual nourishment. It is a meal that we take as believers to help encourage us, to right. get us to keep going. Honestly, it, it's, it allows us to keep things in perspective, to keep our sin in perspective, to keep mm-hmm. our plight in perspective. I mean, without Christ, we're hopeless. Yeah, And when we don't get that spiritual nourishment of reading the Bible, uh, of digging into Scripture, of meeting with other believers, and then of taking the Lord's Supper, we become spiritually weak. Mm -hmm. That's when temptation can really jump in. That's when depression can jump in. That's when this idea of, man, things are kind of hopeless right now can jump in. Right. But with this Lord's Supper, it
1: is designed to encourage us, get us out of that mindset of things are hopeless. It's a grounding element in a way. Uh, I think everyone, when they give community meditation, which we can talk about more in a minute, they kind of have their uh, one of their favorite things to circle back to. You said whenever you give it, you read where Paul says you should examine yourself before you take it. Me personally, I really like explaining the importance of being present in the moment. Feel the cracker in your hand taste the bitterness of the juice and realize this is really happening. You're really doing this. And there's a reason you're doing it. It's not just tradition or something like that. Uh, The whole reason you were sitting in this room, taking these elements is because somebody did something to cause this to become a practice and that something, and that somebody happened to be Jesus, and that he sacrificed his life. It, it helps whenever our brain and our emotions start running away with us, it helps us ground back to the moment and say, this is why I'm doing this, and if this is true, then all these other things are true as well. Yeah, exactly. And, and so the next thing, so we, we've talked about
0: it symbolizes Christ's death. It, it allows us to participate in the benefits of Christ's death, because those are huge. And we've talked about that in other episodes, you know, early on. Where we talk about why did Christ have to die? Why did He die? The the ABCs of Christianity. That was one mm-hmm. of the first episodes we we ever put out, and and it communion allows us to remember that that we get these benefits of His death. It, it allows us to be spiritually nourished. We're encouraged. We're full. It gives us hope, it gives us peace, it gives us joy. Yes, it's somber, right? I mean, the Lord's Supper, his death and res- his death was somber. It was not yeah. a joyous occasion, but the results are very joyous. Right. And so when we're taking the Lord's Supper, we're remembering the results of that death and that resurrection, the suffering that he
1: had to go through. Yeah, or the price, yeah, that he had to pay.
0: So the next thing, it, it unifies believers together. Uh, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 17, that because there is one bread... We who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Mm -hmm. So it allows us to unify our body of believers together as one. Right. Because, you know, we talk about this a lot, and and we've talked about this on the show a lot. Unity within the church, it's so important. Mm -hmm. And when you don't have unity within church, you, you become ineffective. Right. This unifies us. This allows us to put other nonsense, the color of the carpet, the the toilet paper over or under in the church like yeah it allows us to put all of that nonsense aside and focus on what really matters and why we are in this building in this moment and what's what would
1: you say is the easiest way to unify people through the death burial, and resurrection of jesus through the gospel Mm -hmm. that's how we unify our church well not only that but i think just doing stuff together yeah that's Taking this bread together unifies us. Do people care about the color of the carpet whenever we all work together to put carpet down? I don't think so. I think we're all happy we got the carpet down. Right. But doing stuff just a lone wolf style, now all of a sudden people care about the carpet because they weren't well, involved or, you know, yeah. whatever. Also,
0: what is really important with your family? What's really important with, like, out, t- think outside the church for a second and think about your family. Think about y- your wife or. Mm-hmm. You know, my family or my close friends, my church family that I consider family because I'm not married and don't have any kids. What's what is one way that we, especially in America, but I mean, I think even in the in biblical days, one way that we show we care about each other, we love each other, we want to spend time together, we do it over over a meal. Oh yeah, I mean that's what the Last Supper was, right? That was a meal with between Jesus and his closest friends. His disciples, his twelve, yeah, his twelve chosen people, and so you think about this as an extension of that. This idea that that sharing a meal together is super important. I mean, you, you, I mean, the st- the statistics are staggering when it comes to families who eat together on a nightly basis are way happier. Yeah, they're way more satisfied, way more fulfilled. They stay together. They, right. there's less tension. When we share a meal together, and that's what this is. This is a spiritual meal that we as believers share together to bring us together and unite us mm-hmm. and keep us keep us together. I mean, it's what it is. It keeps us together. Right. It yeah. bonds us. So that's another thing. Through communion, through the Lord's Supper, number five, Christ is conf- affirming. Christ is affirming his love for me. The fact that I am able to participate in the Lord's Supper... And that he invites us to participate in the Lord's Supper. He wants us to do so. Yeah. Is a reminder that he loves me personally. Mm-hmm. Not just this abstract idea of me. Yeah. He loves me as an individual, as a child that he created, as as a as a person that is uniquely made in his image. He loves me. And yes, I am very much not a fan of. Being self focused, I don't like you know when we're on stage when we're talking about theology, especially with progressive Christianity, making you know being such a big deal right now. Mm-hmm. They make it all at about me and how I feel. But in this moment, right now, with the Lord's Supper, it should it, it, you can look at yourself and say He loves me that much, right? He eagerly desires to eat
1: this meal with you specifically, right. yeah. yeah.
0: And, and it's not just me; it's Grant. Like he when Grant is taking communion, he he should be thinking, okay. I am invited to this table with the King of the Universe because He loves me individually enough to where He will go through what He's about to go through in the next few, you know, next couple of days. Right. That's just crazy to me That's what yeah. to think about, even now. So the next thing, you know, after we we talk about His love for us and that, that that this affirms His love for us is that Christ affirms that all the blessings of salvation are reserved for me. They're reserved for you. For for those of you who have put your faith in Christ, participate in the Lord's Supper that. These benefits and the blessings are reserved for you. So when you, come to, when you come to Christ and you come at his invitation to the Lord's Supper, he's invited you into his presence. And that alone should be staggering. We talked about that just a second ago. That alone is a staggering thing. When you're eating and drinking the bread and the juice, you're getting a foretaste of the great banquet that, that Jesus talks about. He talks about in Luke 14 in a parable form, talks about the great banquet. You come to this table as a member of an eternal family. A family that is never going to leave you. A family that is never going to abandon you. Mm-hmm. That when we leave this earth and we are present present with Christ and we are in his presence and, and we are eating at his table, we are doing so with a family that we can't even fathom. No. A right, family yeah. that we can't even fathom right now. No. A, fa- a family of believers, a family of those who have been saved by his grace that are all together in perfect harmony and unity. We are... Eagerly awaiting that, right? I mean, that sounds amazing. Yeah, sounds You go incredible. to dinner with your family, and there's no conflict.
1: Right, well, not only that, but... <laughs> no but
0: politics getting in the way, none heroes of Heroes of
1: the faith, I mean, unexpected people, there's, I mean... Yeah,
0: it's going to be an amazing thing, and, and that is what we are kind of getting a little taste of when we take the Lord's Supper together. We're getting a taste of that eventual banquet that we're going to be sitting at at the end of the age. Right. It's going to be an incredible thing. Next thing, and finally, that I am affirming my faith in Christ. In that moment of the Lord's Supper, I am affirming my faith in him, similar to what baptism does, right? We talk about these two kind of going hand in hand. These are the two things that Christ institutes. He institutes baptism and he institutes the Lord's Supper. Baptism happens that once you become a believer, that is your first act of obedience. Now, we haven't fully got into this whole idea of does baptism save you? That is something that is on my list of things to get to. It's a big topic. It's a topic that has a lot of emotion behind it. Right but we're going to get into that at some point but just for the sake of this argument right now your the act of baptism is your first act of obedience right and it is a public proclamation that you have been buried with Christ and you have been raised into newness of life that is what that symbolizes the lord's supper symbolizes i have a faith in christ that i am that i affirm his death i affirm his his blood being shed his body being broken and i am anticipating his return Right. And that is what you're doing. You are saying to the public and to the people that you were in the room with in that moment, I am with you as a church, as a body of believers. I am with you. I am in this with you. I'm united in his death, united in his resurrection, and I am waiting his return. Right. I am a believer.
1: Yeah, I think so. And on top of
0: that too, beyond that, we are saying my sins are forgiven because of the blood, because of his body being broken, my sins are forgiven, and I'm proclaiming that to the world. And again... Proclaiming that in unity with my brothers and sisters that I'm with, it leads me to one last thing I want to get to before we get into community meditation. Who should take communion? All right. All right. There is a you know there, there's some people that say oh anyone can take communion.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: It, it it's just it's just bread. It's just wine or it's just juice. Even heck we've said that it's literally just bread. It's just juice.
1: We have said that. We have said that. In, podcast, yeah.
0: We believe that it is just bread. It is just juice
1: or wine. Right. But. Technically. That's technically, no way to approach yes. it,
0: though. But who takes communion? So, is it people who are baptized? Is it people who are believers, who profess Christ? Right. I don't know. We may differ in this, You, and in, in, in you as listeners may differ with me on this. I truly believe it is for professing Christians. Without uh, yeah. the caveat, you don't have to be baptized to take communion. Yes, you need to be baptized. And you need to do that as an act of obedience. If if you aren't doing it because you're ignoring it or you're not doing it because whatever, there's a sin issue there and you need to deal with it. However, if you are working towards baptism or you haven't been quite baptized yet, but you are saved, you are a believer, then yeah, you take communion. This is
1: an area where I uh, love to make, you know, plant my flag on the whole, where the Bible speaks, we speak or I speak. And where it's silent, we or I are silent. And I can only speak to what I... Th- Feel personally on this uh, matter, and I would be inclined to agree that it is for professing Christians, um, because they're the ones who are appreciating what it's standing for. If you're not a Christian and it's meaningless to you, then why take it? Uh, and because it doesn't, it doesn't mean anything for you at that no, point. Not
0: only that, Paul talks about it in, in the passage we read in First Corinthians eleven. You're eating and drinking judgment upon yourself. When you are, when you as a non-believer, mm-hmm. you you take the Lord's Supper not as a believer, and you're doing it kind of in jest. You mm-hmm. may not think you're doing it in jest, but right. in the Lord's eyes, you are. You are eating and drinking judgment upon yourself. Doesn't mean you're unsavable in that moment, but what it means is you you, you are essentially desecrating a sacrament. You are desecrating an institution of the Lord. Mm-hmm. I'll take it a step farther. Let me go back to First Corinthians chapter eleven really fast again. I keep grabbing this mouse and the mouse is dead, guys. This is a struggle <laughs> because it's sitting. I need to just throw it on the couch and, and pretend it's not there. But I'll go back to First Corinthians chapter eleven, and I'm going to go to verse twenty-seven. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let's dive into that really fast for just a second here, and I'm going to go to one of my commentaries that I use from John MacArthur. Uh, who I think is, is, as far as like a modern theologian, is to me one of the smartest, most theologically sound people. Does he get everything right? Of course not. Nobody does. No, no. But is he someone that I trust? Absolutely. And let's look at this really fast, kind of what he says about this. To come to the Lord's table clinging to one sin not only dishonors the ceremony, but it also dishonors his body and blood, treating lightly the gracious sacrifice of, the, of Christ for the believers. It is necessary to set all sin before the Lord... And then partake. So as not to mock the sacrifice for sin by holding on to it. When you come to the Lord's Supper as a believer, as a junior believer, you are one who should be taking the Lord's Supper. But you're doing it with unconfessed sin. You're doing it with sin that you're holding on to. And, and, and not even just like unconfessed or like, oh, I said a bad word yesterday. Mm-hmm. But like, you don't want to give this up. Like there's something that you're doing. right? Something that you're participating in that you just don't want to give up or you don't feel convict- conviction on. You should not take the Lord's Supper yet. You need to deal with that sin first. You need to dive into that. You need to repent. You need to confess, and you need to turn away from that sin before you do the Lord's Supper. Because, like he says, you're kind of you're just taking it too lightly at that point, which is what Paul is fighting here, as we read in the first few verses of of this section. You're t- you're not taking it seriously in this moment. I think another thing too, if you have an issue between you and another brother, you and another believer, professing believer, so so like if. Grant and I just had this huge falling out. I'm um, it's not it goes beyond we don't hang out anymore. It's I'm actively angry at Grant. A bitter root. On yeah. yeah, there's bitterness there. There's a grudge that I can't let go. I haven't forgiven him mm-hmm. for whatever he did or didn't do. I haven't forgiven him. I need to make that right first before I go and take take the Lord's Supper. Uh, it, honestly, it, it's we deal with our sin first as believers, talking to the believer. We deal with our sin first we deal with our unforgiving spirits, our bitterness, our malice, our just our sinful ways, things that maybe, you know, don't affect anybody else but are sinful in our, our our ways. We put those before the Lord first. Right. And I go to Grant and I say, "You know what? For my part, I played in whatever conflict we're having, I am sorry. I ask and beg for your forgiveness, and for your part, I forgive you." Mm-hmm. At that point it's on Grant but at that but in that moment you have forgiven him you're not holding on to the bitterness the anger anymore you have asked for forgiveness you tried to make amends you are now clear to take the lord's supper in that moment All right grant may not be maybe he's still angry <laughs> i am still holding on to it yeah <laughs> but you deal with your sin and you deal with the conflicts between you and other believers in that moment before you take the lord's supper All right so one thing and we're going to get into community meditation but when i give mine i actually take this from the church i went to before i came to lanesville At the end of my communion meditation, right before I pray and and just kind of quote-unquote dismiss people to go get Mm -hmm. the elements on either side of the room, I make sure, and every time I say it, I say, look, something to the effect of, if you are a believer, I invite you to take this meal. If you have any sin that is unconfessed, any issue between you and another believer, deal with that first before you go take it. All right. And And then I say something to the effect of, if you are not a believer in Christ... I do not I do not want you to take this meal. Please do not take this meal. Take Christ instead. Yeah. Find someone to talk to or you talk to the Lord on your own. Take Christ instead. Do not take the elements. Because, again, it is such a serious moment, a serious thing that we're doing. Yes, we're talking about encouraging things and we're talking about, you know, being edified and encouraged and filled up and filled with hope and joy in this mm-hmm. moment. But it's also a very serious moment. And when you have unconfessed
1: sin or when you're not a believer, you're taking it lightly. Yeah. Well, and don't get the cart before the horse. Don't have a a long list of things that you're now doing that Christians do but you haven't taken Christ. Start yeah. with the starting point. Exactly. And and I say it out of out of love when it comes to the non-believer part.
0: I say it out of love. I say it of I don't want you to take this meal because you don't fully understand what it means. You don't fully understand the joy that it should bring you to be. Well, able and there's to do something this. better.
1: There's something if you haven't had Christ yet and you have the choice between the communion and Christ, there's something better. There's yeah. Jesus. And so I want you to take
0: him, and then you'll understand why this part is so important to us and why this part is such a big deal and such a somber moment. Right. And so to those who are believers, I say this. Keep this in your mind next time you, your church does communion, whether it's weekly, whether it's monthly, whether it's quarterly. I, I, I don't know what your church necessarily does. And, and the Bible doesn't actually prescribe how often you're supposed to do this. I think there are indications there that maybe it should be every week or every time we gather as a body. And that's kind of where I land. Every time we gather as a body, we should do it. However, if your church doesn't, I'm not saying leave. I'm not saying burn it down. Just yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, do what your church does and stick with it and keep fighting for biblical truth. That's what's important. But what I want you to do as a believer, if you, next time you take communion, examine your heart first. And every time you take communion, examine your heart. Reflect on the last week. Reflect on the last 10 minutes. Like Reflect on your relationship with God. If there's anything that is bogging that communication down and that anything being sin, mm-hmm. deal with that before you get up and take the elements. Deal All with right. that before you eat. Deal with that before you drink. Confess. Your sin to the Lord. Lay it all out there. He already knows it.
1: Yeah, <laughs> he already sure. knows what you're doing. You're not hiding anything. You're not <laughs> hiding
0: anything from him. Confess it to him. Give it to him. Repent before you take the meal. Show the Lord. Show yourself that you take this seriously. You're not trying to make a mockery of his sacrifice. Yeah, don't, we're all guilty of this at, at some point. I know we are. Yes, of course. I mean, don't. Don't make it meaningless. Right. Yeah. So, and for those of you, if, again, if you found this episode and you're trying to figure out what the Lord's Supper is or who the heck's this weird Brad guy and Grant guy talking to us about the Lord's Supper, about eating bodies and drinking blood, <laughs> don't. next time you're in church, if you are not a believer, don't take communion. Don't do it. Take Christ instead. Examine your heart and say, am I? Am I a believer? Do I confess? Is he the Lord of my life? Do I actually believe these things I'm saying or hearing or singing or, or whatever? Mm-hmm. Do I believe them? Am I a Christian? Once you answer that question, if you answer that question yes, by all means take the Lord's Supper. If you answer it no, man, take the Lord instead. Yeah. Get 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 well, on your knees. Well, look and, at and the confess. original
1: communion uh group, for lack of a better word. All these guys, with the exception of Judas, were disciples of Jesus first before they participated in communion.
0: I, I think that's I think those things that we've discussed and, and, and whatnot are very important, a good framework and a good foundation for the Lord's Supper. Obviously. So much more we can get into, and and, and we can really pick apart these verses. The, I mean, the, the, the communion, the Lord's Supper is in all four Gospels, and so like we could really pick each one apart and figure mm-hmm. out, put it all together to get the one big story and the complete picture of it, but we're not going to do that for the sake of time right now. What I do want to talk about, though, is you've heard us use the phrase communion meditation. You've heard us use that phrase a lot, and you're thinking, what does that mean? Do we get in a circle, go um, and sing Kumbaya, and like meditate on... That's not what this is. No. So Grant, do do me a favor, explain the term communion meditation
1: and like what that looks
0: like in practice at our church.
1: A lot of it we can glean from the name, meditation and communion. We are meditating on the communion time that we're in and the act we're about to partake in. So at Lanesville, right after the initial worship set is completed, then everyone will take a seat And whoever has been scheduled to be the community meditation speaker will take the stage. And during their time allotment, which is approximately five minutes, um, which we'll we'll talk more about this (laughs) later, uh, the goal of that speaker is to bring every believer into the presence of Jesus. It is a call to deal with whatever you need to deal with, and it is a... Moment of encouragement, I like those encouraging moments at the end of kind of more along what we've discussed, the benefits that if this is true, all these other things are true as well. There's a verse, Romans somewhere, that if God has given us Christ, won't he also give us all other things? And I've butchered that horribly. It's very paraphrased. That's that's what the community meditation time is, and it gets everybody in the right mindset for what's about to, to happen. So because And, th- and this is arguable. I'm sure there are people who disagree, but I've heard that community meditation has the potential or is the most important part of a church service. So you want want your mindset regardless to be right, but even more so if that's true. So the verse that he alluded to is Romans 8, Romans chapter 8, verse
0: 32. It says, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Right. And that's a great, great thing to think about. And so when, when we come to the time of the service, where we do community meditation, it is a very important, very somber moment. I think the purpose of it should be to hit at least one of those seven things we kind of talked about throughout this episode, where we discuss, hey, this is to edify you. This is to build you up. This is to encourage you. This is to unite us. This is to you know, give us a reason to celebrate. But also a time to reflect and say, "Hey, there's some things that I haven't confessed. There's some things I'm holding on to. There's some anger I'm holding on to. Some bitterness I'm holding on to." And it gives us kind of a a reminder to deal with those things. I mean, granted, we should be repenting daily of the things that we we do that are that are not, you know, holy and not right. You know, that that go against God and go against His commands and His teachings. And we should be doing that daily. But this moment in our service should give us a little bit of that kind of like pinprick of a reminder says hey maybe you haven't dealt with this yet and maybe you should and you should do mm-hmm. it now before you partake in the, in, in the in yeah the kind of get elements. your act together uh, yeah moment yeah so all right so let's talk a little bit more practical now we've talked a lot of abstract of what community meditation is what it looks like in our church so practically speaking grant give us kind of like just a quick like what is your vision of what this would be at our church, and then, you know, could maybe extrapolate that out to other churches. Like, what mm-hmm. kind of is your practical vision of this? I'm not talking, like, the, you know, the, the kind of the spiritual stuff that we've talked about, but just practically speaking, you know, how long does it last? Who should, who should give it? Yeah. What, you know, sh- how should they prepare? That kind of aspect. of? Because, again, we want to take this very seriously, and so we don't
1: want someone up there who doesn't take it as seriously as it should be taken. Right. And so for this... It's hard to make this applicable to all churches everywhere. Of course. And so I I can go over what we do at Lanesville, and to the best of my knowledge, what Lanesville's vision for it is, and how we've practiced it since the beginning. As far as who should give it, it has always been strictly male. Uh, There's yet to be a female believer, give a community meditation, and... I am in support of that. Mm-hmm. I think most people are. I, there are churches I know of uh, that would probably do that differently. At Lanesville, we we do that, I think, because of the verses we read where Paul says he doesn't permit a woman to be over a man. Right. And those that's a separate discussion that I would personally and truthfully would not like to be a part of. <laughs> well, we've had that discussion. <laughs> okay, great. We we so it's it's Because it is, it, it's been covered pretty in
0: depth, actually, sure. Because and we've gotten some flack for it. Because we do believe in the biblical hierarchy of the family and the church. Mm-hmm. Right. Christ is the head, the husband, or the pastor is
1: the head of the, you know, is is kind of next in line, and so on and so forth. So anyway. <laughs> yeah, sigh of relief that that episode's been recorded. <laughs> Multiple. But, yeah. Recorded. Go back and listen. Uh, It's been strictly male uh, since always, essentially. And they've always been believers, which just, that's just common sense. We're not going to stick somebody up who is one and non- a non-believer or two a new believer right uh, right, right right that's that's danger that's not fair to the congregation and that's not fair to the new believer that you stick up there who's I mean, going to be saying who knows what uh, absolutely
0: and let's also think to a professing believer because i mean i think right you know we we all have been fooled from right. time to time like oh wow that was you know we have yeah. those issues but a profess someone who professes christ
1: because love believes all things mm-hmm. and when you profess christ we we believe you yeah, yeah. We, why? Why would we not? Yeah. So those are kind of the criteria for who is going to do it, and you definitely have to. You cannot walk with Jesus on Sunday and Satan on Monday. Right. Uh, that will shine through Absolutely. ultimately, and there won't be any hesitation for re- removing somebody who's doing that. And that comes with you know we, what I just said. We believe you. Okay. Now we
0: need to see the fruit too. Right. And that, that's what it boils down to. It's not us judging your salvation and saying, hey, you, you claim Christ. It, 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 this goes into so many things. Church discipline. But it, it's you yeah. claim Christ, but we also, okay, but we're seeing some things in here that are not just random things that you do that are wrong, because we all sin. We all struggle with sin. But like a repeated pattern of unrepentant sin. Yeah. See I,
1: that. I don't want that to sound like, oh, so the people doing it don't sin. That's absolutely not the case. Uh, but this moment needs to be guarded, right? It, it cannot be just left open to whoever wants to do it. It's a great, I think springboard for professing Christians to get more involved with church. And I would love to use it as that and plan on using it as that, but it's, it's not a, uh, somebody wants to get plugged in. So we'll just stick them here right. type thing. Uh, that's, that's not what it is at all. And it won't be conducted in that way. After that, The community meditation time schedule, which has been an eternal battle for (laughs) probably every church, I know it has been for our church, uh, is like five minutes at the maximum. You don't think five minutes sounds like a very long time to stand up on stage and talk in front of people, but it's an eternity. And you think that, you you know, you you prepare, ideally, and you write down all the points you want to hit, and you think, I'm going to talk for 18 hours on this. You're going to fly through that. So in five minutes is plenty of time to get your point across. Know your tendencies on some things. If you know that you have a community meditation that is making sense, that is going to get people in the right mindset, and to make that happen, you have to talk for seven minutes, maybe do that. But if you know that you are a rambler or incoherent, if you start talking for too long, know thyself. Four minutes, three <laughs> minutes, you know, five yeah. minutes or something like that. But this is not a sermon. That's what Pete's job is, and he will be doing that job. He doesn't need our help to do that. Um, it's great if the community meditation can complement whatever it's he's talking about. It's meant, to, it, it's meant to turn the focus
0: to the gospel. Right. I mean, really, right? I mean, it, mm-hmm. it's meant to turn the focus to the gospel. It, it's meant to lead to a, a moment of repentance, a time of repentance, a time of reflection, and then a time of celebration, and and yes, we do the Lord's Supper publicly with the body, but it's also a time of private celebration, of private reflection. Yeah, saying, "Hey, this is kind of exciting stuff," but also, "Woe is me! I am a sinner. Yeah, I need. I needed this. I am the cause of this. I'm why he did this. Right. And it's it's a good time. And that's to me what the community meditation at, at church should lead into. It should it should be a focus on reflection. And so, like, I do. I try to avoid the few times I've been able to do it, and I I love doing it. It, It's something that I do enjoy. I find it an honor and a blessing to be able to do it. And and so it's like, when I get the chance to do it, I I don't want it to be about me. I don't want to come out there because I, as those of you who have listened to us for 75 other episodes, I have very strong opinions on a lot of things. And, yeah, and yeah, I, yeah. I like to express those. That's kind of why I did a podcast is because like I like to express my opinions and my thoughts mm-hmm. um, without anyone telling me to shut up. But, <laughs> 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 but no, like, but that's not, the community meditation is not the time for that.
1: Right. That was one of the things I'd written down earlier is this is not a time of agenda pushing. Right. Right. Uh, I better not hear anybody talk about politics up there. Of course. Uh, yeah. Anything, it's not about you. Ideally, I believe your prayer and I've he- I've heard pre- Pete pray this from the stage for years. Lord, get me out of the way. Right. That should be our mindset going in there. This is a blessing not just for us who get to do it as far as like being chosen to do it, but not that it's a prophetic role or something like that, but God has blessed us with the ability to be in a position where we get to deliver a message to his people and represent him in a way. And that's not to be taken lightly or it's to be not. distorted. And, and it's not so like, you know, I've I've
0: been, I was blessed to
1: to preach a sermon at Lanesville.
0: And, you know, this was right at the beginning of my idea to, to kind of me and Austin to start doing this podcast. Mm-hmm. And it was on this idea of being prepared and about how Christians we have become biblically illiterate. The sermon was the time to do that. Communion meditation is not the time for me to say, you people need to get it together Mm -hmm. as far as your biblical literacy goes and make sure you have the proper theology. (laughs) That's not what what this is for, right? No. It's to, maybe an element of you
1: people need to get together, but also like, hey, Brad, you need to get together too before you come to this table. The communion meditation is not a sermon. It's not. Yeah, if it was, it'd be called communion sermon. So uh, I think that's one of the most important things to get. I'm obviously not ever going to name names or even instances of past, you know, since the dawn of New Life <laughs> Christian Church, which is what Lansville used to be called. But over the years, we've definitely seen the gamut of tangents, mm-hmm. and those those communion meditations are unfortunately remembered and distracting and distracting.
0: super distracted from what we're there so, for.
1: And this this is going, to, I think, whenever this gets uh, published. It might come across as a little bit harsh, but this moment has to be guarded, and this is not calling anybody out. Uh, It's also not a call from what I said earlier about maybe go seven minutes if you're feeling good about yourself. (laughs) Probably don't. Yeah. Uh, Five minutes, (laughs) but I digress.
0: Grant is speaking specifically about Lanesville, but I I do think a lot of these principles can be at least thought about in other other churches in, in ways that we do communion as a body of believers, as the big church, the big C universal church. Yeah. That okay, maybe it doesn't. Your service doesn't look like our service, therefore you don't do it the same way we do. But we are showing you, based on this conversation of the expectations that we're we're kind of putting, or that Grant is kind of putting into place with Lanesville through the elders and all that. Mm-hmm. That we take this with such reverence, we take this so seriously that maybe you can take that idea at least to your church and say, hey, we need to really focus on. The reverential aspect of this moment right now, and mm-hmm. give it the weight that it deserves, and it doesn't. That way, it doesn't become super ritualistic. Oh, this is just another thing we do on Sunday. Right. at this point in the service, you know, at Sojourn where I was before this, they do it at the end of the service. Right, and they do it as as the pastor is wrapping up the sermon. He kind of transitions into that moment of communion, mm-hmm. and it's like, okay, that's cool. So us, we do. We do three songs. We do communion invitation. We do one song. We do the sermon. We do one song. Like it's a very set pattern and structure to the service, right. which there's nothing wrong with that. But what we have to do, and what I hope this helps us do as as our at our church and at your churches as well, is understand that this isn't just another section of the service. This is a moment that you need to spend reflecting on yourself, reflecting on your relationship with others and your relationship with Christ.
1: Yeah, there's a reason why behind everything any church does. You know, there's a reason why we play it's not because it's music time that we're playing songs, it's because this is your time to worship the Lord. Right. You know, with communion, this is the time to reflect on what Jesus's death means, what it cost him and what it, you know, what it means for us. And then the sermon is how are we going to apply this we're all not gathering just together here because we think it's just fun to do or something. Right. We're, there's a purpose behind it, exactly, and we do think it's fun
0: to do. And so the hope, the hope is that yes, we are talking specifically our church at the moment, but also you take some of this reverence and these ideas, maybe, and, and you say, okay, how can we implement this into our own lives? Yeah, and, and look, we, I have a there's there's a gentleman in our church that uh, we've we've all spent a lot of time with who he he does communion, and we we've been known to do communion on a Tuesday night when we're just sitting by a fire. Mm-hmm. And because it doesn't have to be confined to a church. It, it can be confined. It's a gathering of believers. Right. And when we are gathered together as believers, if we feel led and we feel that, that desire to partake in the Lord's Supper, by all means, we are together. That's what this is, right? It doesn't have to always be within the confines of the church. Take the Lord, as long as you are treating it with the reverence it deserves and with, with the reflection that it requires, by all means, if you're in a group of believers and you f- do it, get do, take Lord's Supper, because it's a proclamation of, hey, we acknowledge his death, we know what it did, and we are waiting eagerly for his return. Yeah. So that's kind of the practical aspect of this, like, you know, five, six minutes, you know, know yourself, kind of understand your tendencies, and and take it seriously, and don't come at it flippantly, and be prepared. So in that vein, especially the be prepared part, mm-hmm. like... What are some goals? What What should someone who's gonna give communion meditation at our church or at any church, someone who's presenting communion to their to a body of believers, whether it's a pastor that listens to this, whether it's a lay member that listens to, whether it's someone that wants to do it on a Tuesday night behind a, by a fire, yeah, like what are what are some goals, some things they need to have in mind as they are preparing to lead others into the time of communion?
1: I think that word preparing is the first thing. Prepare whatever you're going to say. It's very, very difficult to just off the cuff come up with something that's biblically sound if you're not ready for it. And yeah. So preparation is key. And I don't mean Saturday night preparation. Okay. The schedule for the community meditations at Lanesville are like five weeks back. So you you know very far in advance that you are up to do it. Patty does a wonderful job of letting everyone know that it's in the newsletter prepare whenever you know it's coming up not the night before and then keep in mind what your ultimate goal is i it's kind of funny you know uh mountaintop experiences, right? Like TCTC or, or some big convention, you go there and then you're just like, Oh, you're in the presence of God. Cause they build up a ton of emotion during those times. We, we
0: talk about this a lot on our podcast. We talk about the, the camp highs and the emotional moments yeah. of
1: camp and you come back and you're jacked up for two weeks
0: and then you're like, Oh, everything's back to normal.
1: Right. They're, yeah. they do that on purpose. They, and they know yeah. exactly what they're doing as far as the emotion to just get you fired up for God. In smaller doses, I don't necessarily disagree with that for the time of communion because we want to hit home for the people as far as uh why we're doing this in regards to jesus's death and it it, it is an emotional time, and emotions are a human oh they're a gift. At- attribute and gift they're and a gift from God I don't think they're wrong to use uh within boundaries uh, so we don't you don't want to hype it up to where people your only goal is to get someone to cry that's right. that's not the goal. But you want it to be um, convicting, in a way, and for it to hit home with people. And sometimes you have... I've done community meditations where I've gone over the actual medical condition Jesus was in at the crucifixion, and it was extremely graphic. Right. That is more emotional. I'm appealing to their emotions sitting there in the audience, and they might cry, and that's okay. Or I've gone over... uh, You can use a little bit of humor in there, again know thyself and uh, i've talked only if you're actually funny (laughs) i have talked about the odds of jesus fulfilling x amount of prophecies and brought in like gambling numbers ironically i talked what what are your odds of winning the lottery what are your odds of being crushed by a refrigerator shockingly pretty look like or high i mean like compared (laughs) to some other things other things yeah. yeah um i we've talked about those the the uh the emotional appeal can be uh, useful, but it shouldn't be primary. Yeah, so we're, we're wanting to achieve bringing people into the presence of Jesus, not necessarily to the foot of the cross. It can be the fo- to the foot of the cross. And, and it could be to, you know, this reminds us that he is risen again. Or it could be to Jesus during the Last Supper. So I don't want to say our, your goal is to bring them to the foot of the cross. Your goal is to bring them to Jesus, and Jesus will take them where they, he wants them to go. But getting them in that mode maybe that's where the emotion thing came back in if if a little bit of emotions are going to get them in the right mindset then go for it but we want them in the presence of Jesus and once we get there with them once they once the timing is right and you can read this room and say this they're where they need to be then leave them there don't keep talking or don't, you know, you don't, you slowly start grabbing the wheel and be like, well, this is my comedian meditation. And like, I've got more things I want to force in that. I got another joke that I wrote. So I have to say, I've got another uh, point that I have to make. If the spirit's moving, leave them there. Don't, don't force anything. Um, and that's the, we can't always see you in the Spirit's moving. You never know what... There's been times I, I write out a community meditation. I think this is garbage. This is not going to get anybody in the right mindset. I know Pete said that he's written sermons that he thinks are the worst thing he's ever written, and they people come up to him for days afterwards saying, man, that's the best sermon you've ever preached. You never know how something's going to affect somebody, so don't assume that, oh, they're, they're not there yet, so I need to keep going. But also don't get up there and just think, I can say whatever, and they're going to be... They're going right. to... Treat it with there's, a balance. I there's mean, a balance
0: there's a balance of being prepared and, and understanding the purpose of why you're doing it you're there to bring people to to a moment of reflection of repentance of of reflection of gratitude of of joy mm-hmm. and, and that's the goal is to is not to distract people with your own nonsense right right or your you, own self your yeah. own self and so I, I want to kind of wrap this up. And again, we've talked very landso specific in this section here, and I apologize for those of you who may have checked out. I hope you didn't, because I do think these are useful things that can be, you know, applied elsewhere, not just to our church. Mm-hmm. It's just how we do it, and practically speaking, this is what we do, and that's part of the purpose of this particular episode. But I wanted to read one of the ones I did, and I'm not, this is not because I think this is amazing or anything like that. Like that's not where I'm at. I just this is one that. I truly felt the Lord was was pushing me here. It's short, it's pretty quick. It, it didn't take long to get through when I was up there on says so Never does, by the way. You always end up way faster than you realize. Always. But again, I do feel that this this one to me felt led. I, I felt led to write this particular one, and and I think, I hope, and pray. I'm not saying it's again to toot my own horn. I just I hope this is some you know gives a little bit of an example of what Grant's talking about here. It's not about you necessarily. It's about bringing people to reflection, a moment of reflection. So, so I wrote this when It says this. It says, true Christianity does not lead to arrogance. True Christianity leads to the ultimate humility. When we come to this point each week, I'm reminded of my own sin, my own failings, my own arrogance, my own pride. I'm reminded that there is nothing I can do to earn fi- the favor of a righteous God. I'm reminded of the fact that it was because of my sin that I was separated from God and on my way to an eternity without Him. Without the events of the Easter season, which I guess I wrote this around Easter time. Okay. But without the events of the Easter season, there would be nothing but hopelessness. But there is good news. Even though I am absolutely and completely unworthy of His love, of His favor, God wanted a relationship with me. This is why His body was broken and His blood was poured out all those years ago. Jesus, God incarnate, perfect, blameless, sinless, and holy, took my sin my failings, my arrogance, my pride. He took them as his own while being beaten, mocked, and nailed to a cross, and he died the death that I deserved. The perfect spotless lamb of God sacrificed on my behalf. Why do we celebrate and remember remember his death each week? Because Sunday is coming and the story is just beginning. So approach this time with humility and repentance. We are not worthy of his grace, yet he gives it freely. What an amazing thing to grasp. And so after that, I go into the whole, this meal is for believers, if you are not a believer, I ask that you don't take this, meal. you take Christ instead. Yeah. Yes, the word my and I was in there, but I was talking to myself. Mm-hmm. And I was hoping that in that moment, the people there were talking to themselves too. They were hearing me say their own name.
1: Sometimes, so instead
0: of saying my arrogance, my pride, my sin, they were hearing me say Grant's arrogance, Grant's pride, Grant's sin. Or they were saying to themselves, or They were saying my, to themselves. They were
1: owning, yeah. Sometimes I think those are the best... Um, community meditations i write you typically my community meditations take on where i'm at personally in that in that walk of life if i know that i'm not living the way that i should be and i need to say you know i need to recognize for myself somebody died for because of what i'm choosing to do like it, it yeah. cost somebody something then my community meditations might take on more of that role because what i've discovered and I'm going to be a hypocrite for saying it because I'm not brave enough to do it, but if we were all to sit in a circle and confess our sins, we'd be shocked at how unoriginal we are. Oh, absolutely. And There is nothing new under the sun. If I'm struggling with something... Ecclesiastes. Somebody else is struggling with that. (laughs) If they're struggling with it, I'm struggling with it. Uh, So sometimes when you rewrite out a community meditation, if it's what you need to hear, it might be what somebody else needs to hear.
0: Absolutely. And and, and it allows... I mean... You know, I, I, you get up on, on the stage, you get up in front of your, your fellow believers, and you, you are confessing that you struggle just as much as they do. It's that idea that we're not asking for perfection here. Mm-hmm. We're asking for acknowledgement that we aren't perfect, and, and we're stupid, we're sheep. And and so, yes, when you can reflect on what he did for you, what that cross meant, what it symbolizes, and what it still symbolizes today, that's the goal, right? That's the ultimate goal of communion. Right. Is to remember and reflect of what that cross represents. And
1: as long as you can get your people there to that moment, then you've done your job. It also has a good byproduct of if if I'm writing this to myself, I'm becoming more and more convicted as I write this, which is getting me in the right mindset to deliver communion. Yeah, that's Uh, exactly right. Yeah.
0: Well, any last thoughts? Any last words? Um, any last words <laughs> i'm looking forward grant, to grant is his uh we have some things to discuss me and
1: grant he's he's he might be done after that. No, kidding any last well, words I, th- I said at the beginning this will be a test if i don't come back you all know i either was not good at it and or was murdered right? <laughs> um i i'm looking forward to hopefully doing good. this again absolutely i look forward to maybe discussing with Pete and the elders at church about getting a public speaking class focused on communion. Not, not, I'm not talking like sales pitches or something, a community meditation class put together. Uh, just a, how do you write a community meditation and how do you deliver it? Because it is harder than you think it is. And you might, Feel good, but as soon as you get up in front of 100 people, your tongue dries out and you you know blank on everything. So I'm also looking forward to approaching some more people and getting some more people on the rotation, um, seeing who feels called. I had somebody I asked recently. I I have no idea who feels called to give a community meditation. All I can do is just go ask people. It's right. not like there's a halo above their head. <laughs> halo, um, halo. But I asked somebody to do it recently, and they were reluctant because of a adversion to public speaking, but they said, when God gives you something to say, then it's your duty to get up there and proclaim it. And that, that was cool. That yeah. And so there's, I know there's, there's a general humanitarian, like a humanity-wide fear of public speaking, just like needles or whatever, snakes. Yeah. Uh, so facing, that's a common, um, common reason why people don't want to go for it. But I look forward to challenging more people to get up there and seeing how God can use them. And that's that if I had a verse for community meditation or a, uh, a character in the Bible, it'd be Moses where that was the verse I was uh, looking up earlier. If you don't think you can do it, you, if you feel like I cannot represent God well enough because of who I am in this community meditation time, there's a verse for you. Um, not specifically to you. It was to Moses, but <laughs> but we know God doesn't change, and that's on these verses that um, where it's not specifically to me. If it's talk, if he's talking to like old ancient Israel, and I'm saying, oh, that's America or something. No, but uh, <laughs> we know God doesn't change, and so whenever he whenever he tells Israel, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. He also knows the plans he has for us because he's. It's not like he he changes or anything like that. Exodus 4.10 says, Moses said to the Lord, Pardon your servant, Lord. I have never been eloquent, neither in the past, nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. Verse 11 says, The Lord said to him, Who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. That was specifically to Moses in regards to going and speaking to Pharaoh. But that sentiment rings true for us, rings true for us. Who gives us our tongues, our words, who makes us blind or mute or deaf? It's God. And so if uh, you feel called to give a community meditation, but you think like Moses, I can't do it for whatever reason. And the verse after that, Moses just comes out and says, Lord, please send someone else, which is what it all boiled down to. God has given you a tongue. Uh, he's given you words to say, and if he's calling you, then he will tell you, give you the words to speak. Yeah,
0: that's exactly right. So
1: Grant, I really appreciate you coming on. This was a lot of fun. I've I hope you
0: enjoyed it. I hope it's something that you're willing to do again as we kind of move forward with our new vision, whatever that ends up being. Yeah. Um, but and, and I do want to go ahead and throw out there one thing. I, I like to tell people, leave us a review. We need to move up the charts. I, I'm going to make a big push in the next month or so to start moving up the charts, to start getting some reviews, get our website really flowing, get the Facebook, social media, all that stuff going. And I'm really excited about kind of the ideas that I have and mm. and, and hopefully, you know, depending on who all's involved with that, you know, really starting to dive into this. But we got a couple reviews. One from uh, Jordan Brook. Uh, Jordan Brook N. Sorry, that's the name of the, that's the username here. It says, five stars, good. Listen to this podcast. Very short, very sweet. Thank to you, the Jordan. point. <laughs> we really appreciate that. And then a five-star review from Yin Nita knack name. I don't know what that means, but I appreciate you. Yin Nita, five stars. I really appreciate the podcast of what they believe. By the way, that's episode seventy-one and seventy-two. Coming from the Pentecostal Church, these two episodes reflected on my own experiences and the reasons I don't affiliate with that church. Keep up the great work. And so, those two episodes, we talked about Bethel, what they believe. And, and and why we think Bethel is a dangerous movement. Intern Sam was on Intern that. Intern Sam right? was yeah. on that on episode Shout 72. Out to Shout Sam. out to Intern Sam. We miss you. We hope you come back. But yeah, so that is awesome. Thank you for those two reviews. We got a lot of extra Facebook followers, we got a lot of downloads in August, and we only put out one episode. So thank you guys so much. I hope you enjoyed this episode, and I can't wait to get some more content out to you. I hope to have another episode next week. I got a couple ideas. I'm going to throw out some feelers in the next couple days and see if I can get some people on. So I really do appreciate you guys listening. Thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed this. Grant, you've been wonderful. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. And we will be back hopefully next week, if not within a couple of weeks, with the next episode of the Blue Till Until then, stay rooted. We'll see you next week.